to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Ephesians chapter 5 today. We're going to not spend a lot of time today, but I, uh, again, thank you guys so much. Ephesians chapter 5. Last week we talked about, we talked about, uh, um, being an imitator of God, right? Remember we, we looked at that word imitator and the word is mimetes, mimetes, which is where we get our word mimic from. We want to mimic. So Paul says in verse one of chapter five, he says, therefore be followers or imitators, mimetes of God as dear children. All right. And so we talked about that and, and, and it's a, it's, it's a hard concept when we think about that. Well, how can we possibly imitate God. God is God and he's not human. I'm human. How can I possibly mimic God who is God? And we talked about that, didn't we? We talked about, well, wait a minute. Didn't God become flesh and dwell among us? We beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Beheld the glory of the Son as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We we saw what God looks like in human flesh. We saw how he would act in the life of Jesus. We saw how he would respond. We saw how he would interact with people. We saw where his passion would be. We saw where his heart would be when we saw and we study and we look at Jesus. That's where we see God. And so Paul says, be imitators of God as dear children. And then he even clarifies even all the more in verse two, he says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Now, before we go on, here we go. Paul says, be followers, be an imitator of God. And if you need someone to look at and you want to understand what that looks like, verse 2 says, walk in love as Christ did, okay? Look at Jesus, look at what he did, look at what he, how he talks, look at how he interacts with people, look at what his passion was. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. And so we understand, you know, the Bible just threw out We see it saying in the New Testament that Jesus was given for us, that Jesus laid his life down for us. We think of Hebrews chapter 12, right? We, We think of that, you know, therefore being that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, because chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews has all of these men and women who died in the faith, looking forward to the promise of the coming Messiah who was going to be Jesus. They understood the New Test or the Old Testament to say there is coming one on the scene. Moses said there is coming one that is mightier than I. There's a prophet that's going to come. He's going to come. There is a Messiah that is going to come. 
He's going to be more powerful than I am. He's going to be much more, uh, uh, you know, followable than I am. I mean, he's going to be the one you're going to need to look to. He's the one. He's the Messiah. He's coming. And so all of these who long for that day when Jesus Christ would come on the scene and they never saw it, they, they never realized that opportunity to see Jesus alive. And it takes us all the way back to Adam. It talks about so many of the Old Testament saints. And, and, and we see that and, and Hebrews chapter 11 talks about all these who died in the faith looking forward to when Jesus would come. You remember Paul talked about back in, uh, in chapter four of Ephesians. He talked about Jesus. He said this. He says, um, in verse eight, therefore, he says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And then he clarifies and he says, now listen, now this in verse nine, he ascended, Paul says, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So here's here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, hey, when he ascended, what does it mean but that he also didn't first descend into the lower parts of the earth? You remember Jesus, when he was with the Pharisees, he said, you know, um, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights into the belly of the earth. What is he talking about? When he said that he was going to descend into the earth, I personally believe that in the center of the earth is a place that I know that science tells us that there's just this big iron molten ball of iron or whatever, you know, this solid thing. They can they can say that all they want. They We've never penetrated the earth's crust. We've never penetrated the earth's crust. It's theory. It's a thought. It's a good thought, maybe. Hey, this is what we have down there in the middle of the earth. Well, how do you know? Well, we're scientists. Well, haven't you guys been wrong throughout all the years? Well, yeah, but we're not wrong now because we're scientists. Wasn't that what they said back then? Well, yeah, but they were wrong. Well, won't they be saying the same thing about you another 50 years down the road? Well, yeah, but... You know, I, I witnessed to a, a friend of mine um, who was a scientist. He was a biologist, marine biologist, and I talked to him about Christ. and And he was he got mad at me. He says, "You know what? I don't want to hear that anymore. I, I my my religion is science." I go, "Why is your religion science?" He goes, "Because of the beauty of it, Don." And he says, "Science is ever changing." We're constantly seeing the changes as we grow and we grow and we grow and we become more knowledgeable. Science is ever changing and it's a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And that's what I embrace. I don't want to embrace this Bible that was written thousands of years ago. I want to embrace science because it's ever changing. I said, isn't that sad that you're embracing something that changes all the time? What you're living today is a lie. Because in 50 years from now, you're going to find out that what you would go to your grave saying, this is what science says today. You're going to go to your grave 
attesting to that fact, when in all actuality, in 50 years, everybody's going to laugh at you because it's not true. You're living for something that's not true. And to your own admission, you say it is ever-changing and that's beautiful. And I think, oh, wow, that's not beautiful. Mm -mm. I heard something this last week. Uh, The guy, I can't remember, what's what's the actor's name that played Harry Potter? Somebody, huh? Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe said, I am an agnostic, lean more towards being an atheist. But... I would be pleasantly surprised if I find out someday there is a God. I don't think so. I don't think, I think he said, when I die, when I die, I will be, that's what he said. When I die, I'll be pleasantly surprised if I find out there's a God. I'm thinking, no, no, Mm -mm. no, no, you won't. And I don't mean to, to mock him, but that's what the world thinks. That's what my friend thought. Science is ever changing. Well, that's a neat statement. Put it on a Hallmark card and send it to your science buddies. But here's the fact. You can't hang your hat on ever changing. Here's what I believe, my friend. The Bible says, I am the Lord God. I change not. Isn't that something that you'd want to hang your hat on? He doesn't change. He doesn't switch with the, with the whims and the, the, the wiles of, of the world and of society. Right now, we don't even know what's right and what's wrong in our society. I really don't believe so. In fact, what's happening is that things are switching over to where what once we thought was right is now considered wrong. And you're a horrible, immoral person if you don't believe what is was once right, is now wrong. Did I just say that right? I don't think. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying. But that the total opposite, that which is evil, is actually good. We'll argue that, hey, we found a bacteria on another planet. There's life there. But a baby at nine months old is not a life. Kill it. I don't understand. How can you do this? How can you argue these points? How do we do that? We'll we'll, want to save the puppies. (laughs) There There was a bumper sticker that said it all many years ago. I saw it. My brother Dave and I we were driving down the road. I was still living out in California and all these, you know, it was all about don't kill the baby seals. Don't kill whales. You know, and gay rights. No nukes. Well, somebody kind of capsulated it all on the back of a bumper sticker. It said, nuke a gay whale for Jesus. <laughs> we just laughed. We said, there it is, there it is. Um, that's not... That that was probably not appropriate for here, but here's the thing. It made me kind of crack up because the ludicrousy of things that we call good and the things that we call bad. And 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 it's in that that we've got to be very, very, very careful. God doesn't change. Your God, my God, our God doesn't change. 
I'm thankful for that. I don't know about you. I am so thankful that he doesn't switch up in the middle of my life where I've got to learn a whole new plan. I understand that he is the same yesterday, today, and even forever. Amen. That's praise the Lord. I don't have to. I don't don't have to relearn God. I just get the opportunity to, to learn him every day and grow closer to him and and it's not going to change. He's not going to change the more I get to know him. What I'm going to do is the more I get to know him, the more you and I get to know him, the more glorious he is, is he not? The more we are blown away at how awesome God is, at how awesome God is. But but here here's the thing. All of these that died looking forward to the day that Jesus would come on the scene, they, they never realized it. Where did they go? I believe that they went into the center of the earth. That's, call me silly. You probably already do, but it's okay. Jesus says this three, as Jonah was three days and three days, or three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. I think he went to the belly of the earth. That's what he said he was going to do. That's what Paul says. What is this that he ascended, but that he also did not just first descend into the lower parts of the earth? So I believe that Jesus went into the lower parts of the earth. What did he do? He led captivity captive. What do you mean by he led captivity captive? I believe that in the center of the earth that day, when he went and he hung his head for the last time and he gave up his spirit, he went to the center of the earth to a place, what we understand is Hades. Hades, sometimes we say, oh man, it is as hot as Hades in Florida. Well, that's not true. Um, Hades isn't necessarily all a hot place. Hades is a holding cell. It's a holding place. What we see Jesus talk about is that Hades has a place where it was called Abraham's bosom. And then there, on the other side, in, in Hades, there's a great chasm. And on the other side of this great chasm, there's a place called the place of torments, where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth, and there was torments there. And Jesus even, even described the rich man and Lazarus. You remember the, the parable there, the story there Jesus used. He said the rich man and, and, and Lazarus, they both died. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. Where does, where does Lazarus go when he dies? Where did they go? Where did people go when they died before Christ came on the scene? They went to a place called Abraham's bosom or paradise. And those who didn't look forward to Christ, those who didn't have a relationship with God through his, through, through Christ, uh, or that they did not long for the Messiah that would come, they had no relationship with God. They went to a place called the place of torments torments. And Jesus actually shows you a dialogue that what went on down there. The rich man, he cries over to Abraham. He says, Father Abraham, my soul is in torments over here. Can you do me a favor? Can you send Lazarus? And I see this water there. Would you have him at least dip his finger in and touch it to my tongue? For I am parched here. I am in torments. My soul is in torments. I just, would he... Would you please just command him to do that? And Abraham says, listen, you you know that there's a great chasm between us so that if we even wanted to come to you or you wanted to come to us, we can't. 
We can't do that. And by the way, you had your opportunity. And I believe that this is a death blow to this idea of purgatory. I don't believe that if a person dies apart from Christ today that you can actually pray their soul into heaven. I believe what Paul says, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. We don't pray them out of a bad place. You're either relate, you have a relationship with Christ or you don't. The rich man didn't have a relationship with God. He knew Abraham. He knew the stories, obviously, because he, he could recognize Abraham. He can recognize people. Understand this. When we die, we're going to recognize people. The rich man, he calls out to Abraham. He goes, no, we, he can't do it. What does the rich man, what does the rich man say? Listen, then at least send somebody back from the dead to warn my brothers not to come to this place. And Abraham says, listen, they had the prophets. And those that God has sent to them, if they will not hear them, they won't believe even if someone were to rise from the dead. Wow, what a statement that is, huh? What's interesting is that it was just a little bit later when Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, died. Right? And and Jesus was in Bethany. Or he was or they were in Bethany and he was over in Jordan area. And he spent four days getting back to Lazarus. And, and he gets back and Mary and Martha, they just were so distraught because their brother was dead and Jesus talks to Martha and says, you know, you believe in God, right? I mean, you believe in the resurrection. Yes, we believe in the resurrection, but my brother, my brother, my brother. Jesus, uh, he goes to the tomb of Lazarus and, and he says, hey, take, take the stone away from the tomb. There's all these people out there and they begin to laugh at Jesus. They're wailing, weeping and crying. But now when Jesus says, hey, take the stone away, they're thinking, what is he going to do? And, 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 and sister says, listen, you sure? He's been dead for four days now, by now. You have the King James Bible. This is, I like the way it says. My brother's been dead for four days now, by now his body stinketh. It stinketh. And he pulls the stone away. And Jesus, he wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, he wept. I don't think he wept for Lazarus. I don't think he was weeping for Mary and Martha. I don't think he was weeping for the people who were out there as hypocrites. What was Jesus weeping for? Personal feeling? Not dogmatic on this? Some things that you could become dogmatic on. I had an old pastor friend of mine say, hey, dogmatism is just grown-up puppyism. Um, so you got to be careful becoming dogmatic on certain items. So I'm not dogmatic on this, but I believe that Jesus, in my own personal heart, I believe that the tears that Jesus wept on that day when they opened up the tomb for Lazarus. He wasn't weeping for Lazarus because Jesus, being God in human flesh, knew that Lazarus was going to come forth in just a second. He's not weeping for Mary and Martha because he knows that in just a, just a few quick moments, their sorrow was going to turn to outrageous joy. Can you imagine? 
He's not weeping for the people that are there to professionally weep for the dead because, well, just because, okay? Who's he weeping for? I believe he was weeping for mankind. I believe that Jesus' tears flowed all the way back to the Garden of Eden where man committed his very first sin that resulted in death. And if if you would have just done what I called you to do, this type of sorrow would never have entered this world. This would never have happened. This, this sense of loss, this sense of separation, this sense of, of, of loneliness, this, this, this hopelessness. You can't bring your brother back. I believe his, his tears went all the way back to the Garden of Eden. I believe that. And unless I find something that will cause me to understand his tears a little bit more, that's kind of what I kind of hang my hat on on that one. But he calls Lazarus forth. Lazarus, come forth. You remember the story? Lazarus comes forth. It's all decked out in his clothes, you know, in his, in his uh, uh, mummified linens that they wrapped his body in. How did he come out? He walk out? No, he was all... <laughs> you know, I mean, how do you come out? He was all wrapped up. Hmm. Hmm. You know, I don't know. But he came out and they they were blown away. Loose him and let him go, you know, and they took his stuff off. And I don't I don't know if he was no longer stinking, I don't know. But here's the one thing, he was alive. Do you know what they did in the next chapter? It says that the religious rulers sought how they could kill Lazarus and Jesus. Now, going back to our first story, the rich man's going, please send Lazarus back from the dead so that he can warn my brothers not to come here. (laughs) The brothers wanted to kill Lazarus. He came back from the dead. This is going to mess up our position of authority. Hey, think we ought to kill that guy who just came back from the dead? I know it's a horrible way to live. He's going to have to experience death twice, but I think we better kill him. He came back from the dead. It's obvious. He, he was dead. He came back from the dead. Let's kill him. Where's the rationale? That's the kind of mindset that's happening in our nation right now. Guys, we got to be careful. We got to be careful what we got going on here in the world. I, it, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of running out of time. I kind of jumped on a soapbox here today for a second. But here's the thing. Jesus gave himself for us. He sacrificed himself for us. All those that died, not yet receiving Christ. The writer of Hebrews, who personally I think is Paul, Again, not dogmatic on that, but I do kind of believe it's Paul. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. He writes in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, we've just talked about all these people that died apart from Christ. All right? These are the ones that were with Abraham in Hades. I believe that it was paradise 
that's where paradise was at the time. Remember Jesus on the cross? The two thieves, they were mocking him. Somewhere along the line, one of them got saved and they said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him on that day, you remember what he said? Today you will be with me in paradise. He'll be with me in paradise. Where was Jesus going to go? Into the lower parts of the earth. Where did he say that the, the thief on the cross was going to be with him at? In paradise. Where was paradise? Well, if Jesus was going to be in the center of the earth, which he said he was going to be, if that's where all the people had gone, apart from Christ, longing forward to the day when they would see Jesus, the Messiah, they went to that place. Abraham's bosom, that's where it was. Paradise, that's where the thief was going to go that day. That's where it was. Who did Jesus lead captivity captive? He brought those people that were in that holding cell, if you will, and took them out. I believe Hades is half empty today. And it was a very nice side. They weren't in Hades being tortured. Abraham wasn't in Hades being tortured. There are those that say, oh, Jesus went down into hell and he was tortured in hell. There is... I'm of the opinion there is nothing that hell could ever do to Jesus that could be more torturous than for Jesus to be hanging on a cross and his father to turn his back on his own son. Where it caused Jesus to wail from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The immense magnitude of that moment on the cross where the father turned his back on his son. There's nothing that hell could ever do to duplicate that kind of torture. The first time that the eyes of the father was not on the eyes of the son. Ah. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't go to hell to be tortured. Jesus went to Hades to set the captives free. Let's get out of here. You remember, you all were here waiting on the Messiah. Bingo, here I am. Let's get out of this place. You guys want to go home? Yeah! Boom, they're gone. Now, the other side of Hades, place of torments, it's still being packed full. Still being packed up all the time. Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20, it says, hey, actually, Revelation chapter 19, it says, Hades will give up its dead at the great white throne judgment. Hades will give up its dead at the great white throne judgment. So those, that rich man that Jesus was talking about, he's still there. He will be given up and he'll have to stand before the great white throne judgment. By the way, nobody ever wants to stand before the great white throne judgment. If you stand before the great white throne judgment, every judgment that comes from that great white throne is to be cast out. I want to be at the Bema seat judgment. (laughs) That's, there's two different kinds of judgments that we see in heaven. One is a great white throne. The other is a Bema seat. You and I, as Christians, as believers, as as children of God, because we've accepted His sacrifice on our behalf. That's what Paul talks about there in Romans or in, in, in Ephesians chapter five, verse two, that the sacrifice that He made for us it causes us to be His kids, and His sacrifice was enough to pay for our sin and our penalty of our punishment, and, and so. We will come and sit, sit before the Bema seat judgment where rewards are given and what have you, but we're going to, I'm not interested in all the rewards. I don't understand the dy- dynamics of that totally. 
I don't know anybody really does, but I'm not in it for all the rewards that I can get. I just want to be in the presence of Jesus, man. What about you? Think about that, wouldn't it? Is that, isn't that enough to be in the presence of Jesus? I don't care how many crowns are on this head. I'm going to t- we're going to take our crowns off anyway, and we're going to cast them at the feet of Jesus. He's the one that's worthy of these crowns. That's awesome, man. Guys. That's children. That's Christianity 101, man. Of understanding that, man, we are to look to Jesus. That's what Paul was getting at, or the writer of Hebrews was getting at. Look, we're surrounded by all these people that went and died apart from Christ. We now have seen Christ. Captivity has been set captive. They are out of that place, okay? Now, they're in heaven with Jesus. Seeing, he says in chapter 12, verse 1 of Hebrews, seeing that we are surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses. Guys, let's lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us or besets us. And let us look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and right now he sits down at the right hand of the Father. Here's the thing. The joy that was set before him, I get the picture. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I get the picture of a, of a race in a big stadium. Your life, my life, we're in a race. You're in your lane. Stay in your lane, bro. You're in your lane. And and you're running your race. And you've got you got guys up there like Mo. Moses is up there going, Don, do it. Come on, man. Quit looking to the side. Quit looking back. Every time you look back, you slow down. How many of you guys look back like me? I do. I do all the time. I'm running going, ah, wait a minute. What am I, what am I? You're never going to win a race doing this, going backwards. You're not going to win a race. And so they're up there going, stop, turn around. Don, watch out. There's a hurdle coming up. Jump. Boom. Oh, he did it again. Get back up. Run, run, run. Seeing that they're surrounded by such a great a cloud of witness. David's up there going, hey, you can do this. If you got Jesus on your side, if you got God on your side, you can take down giants. Samson's up there saying, look, whatever's in your hand, you can use and you can wipe out armies. I use the jawbone of an ass. I did it. Took out 1,500 Philistines, I think is what it was. Hey, you got all these guys up there and all these gals up there that have walked with the Lord and those that, that longed for God and longed for it and they're sitting there and they're rooting you and I on and right now we've got a world that's saying don't do that, don't listen to those guys listen to what the world says this is what society says you're supposed to do and this is how this is the loving thing that society says you should do or you shouldn't do And and the thing is 
We aren't to be looking at society. Jesus said, or Paul says, or whoever the writer of Hebrews said, he says, there was a joy that was set before Jesus that caused him to endure the cross, despise the shame, and caused him to receive the reward where he's sitting down at the right hand of the Father. What was the joy? It was you. I truly and honestly believe God was thinking, Jesus was thinking about you as he hung on that cross. Oh, that's impossible. There's no way. You can't think of every person. I'll control my friend. Listen, he is God in human flesh. He can do it. I believe Jesus thought of me that day. I believe he thought of you that day on the cross. He has the capacity. He's God. And so here's the thing. When he hung on that cross, he's going, it's for dawn. I'm doing this for dawn. I'm, I'm doing this for, for you guys. This is what my life is about. I'm here to to pay a penalty that you can't pay in order to give you simply the opportunity to receive a gift that you can't buy. You have to just simply take it for free. And, and, And that's the cool thing about God. And Paul says, listen, this is who you and I are as Christians. Mimic what God does. You want to know what that looks like? Look at Jesus. What did he do? Well, he walked in love. That's how, that's how we would start. Walk in love. Don't walk in condemnation. Did Jesus walk in condemnation? Did Jesus come on the scene and condemn everybody that, was, that he was around? No. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Our job is not to condemn the world. Our job here is to point them to Jesus, right? That's our job. That's my job. That's your job. That's our job is to point people to Christ. Because as Christ has also loved us, he gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. I'm out of time I was hoping to get through verse 15 today, but um, that wasn't going to happen. But here's the thing. We're living in a day and an age where the world is saying, this is the norm, and if you don't abide by this, then you're not loving. What should be our dynamic? What should be our criteria for what is loving and what is not loving? I will say this, it's not any political party's agenda. It's not Hollywood's agenda. It's not anyone else's agenda, but the word of God. That's what we understand love to be. That's what we understand love to be. So when you and I are criticized and you are criticized for for not being like the world... I just heard something this last week. Some of you guys probably have heard the same thing. Um, some actress, I know her last name is Page. I don't know, it's Ellen Page or something like that. Kind of came down on another actor who, I guess he's trying to get his life right with the Lord and what have you. He goes to a, like a Hillsong church out in California. Um, you guys might know who he is. He's like uh, uh, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. You guys know who he is? Chris Pratt. He goes to a church out in L.A. It's a Hillsong-type church. 
And he's saying, hey, I, I, I am uh, trying to just get my life together, trying to get my life right. He and his uh, new wife uh, just got... Uh, they just... God didn't... Wanting to do something, he's, he he was on a talk show the other day, and he said, uh, "This is this is." I, I copied it down because I thought I'd I'd mess it up otherwise. Um, says uh, he was on a talk show the other day, and he said uh, that he did a Daniel fast, which was a three-week cleanse inspired by the Book of Daniel. He says, "I did it through my church." It's based on Daniel. He was a guy who, he only ate fruits and vegetables and grains. I was inspired by my pastor. We do it. It's kind of like our Lent. You know, give something up. And so for 21 days, I had no meat, no sugar, no alcohol. And it was actually amazing. It was really cool. His church is uh, a church out in California called uh, Zoe Church, Zoe Church or something like that, which is, uh, it's a place of... Uh, it's a church that's modeled after Hillsong, it says. Pastor is Chad Veach out in California. Um, the church describes itself as a place where our doors are open to people of all backgrounds. Um, in August 2015, uh, the global pastor, Brian Houston, Hillsong global pastor, Brian Houston, said in a statement that his church is a gay welcoming church but we are not a church that affirms a gay lifestyle I'm about to step in it right now but I'm going to do it and because I don't want to bring this up again next week he says we're a gay welcoming church but we are not a church that affirms a gay lifestyle he continues he says Hillsong Church welcomes all people but does not affirm all lifestyles that's a fair statement is it Put clearly, we do not affirm a gay lifestyle, and because of this, we don't knowingly, actively, uh, we don't knowingly have actively gay people in positions of leadership, either paid or unpaid. I recognize this one statement alone is upsetting to people on both sides of this discussion, which points to the complexity. All right, maybe I don't know. Well, oh, it's back on again. He says uh, how this uh, it points to the complexity of this issue for churches all over the world. That's the statement that the church made. I see nothing wrong with that statement, personally. I, I, I think that that is a very loving statement. Um, I would say that we are very much like that in our church. I, and it's not just a gay issue. It's a sin issue. Any kind of sin issue. Any kind of sin issue. We don't affirm sin, but we affirm people who are sinners coming in seeking to do what's right before the eyes of the Lord. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with your lifestyle, regardless of how free you feel in living the lifestyle that's apart from the life that the Word of God spells out. Well, he, he had that thing on the uh, Chris Pratt said that's all he said by the way hey I did this Daniel fast that my pastor did and we did it and this was, it was really cool that's all and this page lady said uh, oh okay um, 
but his church is infamously anti-LGBTQ. So maybe address that too. She said, it's anti-gay basically. It's an anti-gay church. She claims that that Ellen Page is her name, that the church is infamously anti-LGBTQ. And then she goes on and she lectures him. She says, if you're a famous actor and you belong to an organization that hates a certain group of people, where does it ever say that they hate gay people? Where have you ever heard me say that I ever hate a gay person? I don't hate. That's not Christ, right? Christ did not come into the world, what? To condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There's a lot of people that are struggling in lifestyles that that aren't proper. Could be a gay lifestyle. Could be a drug lifestyle. Could be an alcoholism lifestyle. Could be tobacco, for goodness sakes. Here, listen. She says, if you're a famous actor and you belong to an organization that hates a certain group of people, don't be surprised if somebody simply wonders why it's not addressed. Being anti-gay or being anti-LGBTQ is wrong. There aren't two sides, she says. There's not two sides. The damage it causes is severe. Full stop, and I'm sending love to all. No, you're not. You're not sending love to someone who disagrees with you. What you're saying is that everybody should just accept, even in the church. The church needs to accept and have and embrace and allow to come in and exploit and live in a lifestyle that the Bible clearly states is not a proper life to live. And again, it's not a gay issue. It's one of many different types of sins that the Bible talks about. This is not who you and I should be as Christians. This is not who we are. She continues, she says, if the LGBTQT, you know, people are expressing their pain, their trauma, their experience, maybe just try and listen. I agree with that statement. I want to listen. I want to listen. I want to have compassion. I want to have mercy. I want to have grace. For goodness sakes, God has given it to me time and time and time again. Who am I to not extend that? I agree with that. But I don't see anything in... Brian Houston's statement that says that he wouldn't do that. I don't see anything in Chris Pratt's statement that said he wouldn't do that. I don't see anything anywhere. What it is, is it's trying to force the church to completely and totally embrace a lifestyle that's not right before the eyes of the Lord. It just so happens to be this type of a lifestyle. She says, open your heart. Stop being defensive and have compassion. That's where I want to be. I want to have compassion on sinful people. Again, for God has had compassion on me. She says, it's a beautiful and life-changing feeling, empathy. I, I want to have empathy, and I do have empathy. But on that same note, I don't have to affirm a sinful lifestyle as spelled out according to the Word of God. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at the Word of God. The Word of God, I truly believe, is under fire. I believe that we're at a place where we are this close to this book being a hate speech filled word according to our society. 
Right now, somebody just saying, hey, I wanted to do a Daniel fast is being called out and thousands of people are on this woman's side. That's right. That's right. You're right, Ellen. You're right. How could you do that, Chris Pratt? How could you hate? He never said he hated. The, the point is, do we just take that page out of the Bible? I've done for a fact before, I don't have one up here because I'm not going to do this to my own Bible, but I used to have, I used to do this and I, I would do this and I'd, I'd say, okay, here's what the Bible says about that. And then I'd read, say, Romans 1. And, and, and I, I'd go, that's hate speech today. Let's take that back. Let's not do that. I don't want to read that one. I don't like that part of the Bible. I'm going to take that out. Because that doesn't agree with my culture. And the Bible is a cultural, it should be understood as culturally relevant. And I say, God doesn't change. God doesn't change. He doesn't change. And again, this is not a hate-filled speech towards a certain lifestyle of the LGBTQ people. It has everything to do with anybody who's living in a life that's inconsistent with what the Word of God says. And, and it's in that that understand there have been thousands and thousands hundreds of thousands of people who have died because of a disease that came through homosexuality. That's not me. That's the CDC. Don't get mad at me. That's what the CDC says. The CDC, 2017, says that gay and bisexual men are the uh, are the population most affected by HIV. In 2017, gay and bisexual men accounted for 66% of all HIV diagnosis and 82% of diagnoses among, ma- among male, males. Uh, there's some of these statistics I can't even read because it sounds not very nice for coming from a pulpit but according to the CDC how does a gay and bisexual person contract HIV male to male contact unprotected sex and drug use using dirty needles from a person who goes back to step one and two and contracts this disease How do you not get it? Here's how they say. Um, The CDC statement on prevention. Reduce your risk, they say. Don't have sex. Isn't that what the Bible says? Isn't that what the Bible says? That kind of gets into our next week's message, but that's what Paul writes, the very next thing. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Okay? CDC, they're not being picketed. They're not a hate, a hate-filled organization. They're just stating facts. Hey, don't have sex. 
Don't do that. Okay? Second is use condoms. Second, don't share syringes. Share syringes. And fourth, take medicine to prevent or treat HIV. Medical advancements have proved to be quite effective through the creation of prevent of preventative drugs. Quote, I'm reading this directly out of the CDC, according or not out of the CDC. This is this one um uh, statement is from the American uh, well, you'll hear it right here. According to the quote, according to the American Federation of AIDS Research, by the end of 1992, 250,000 Americans had developed AIDS and 200,000 of those had died. 200,000 had died. By 2004, the number of cases of AIDS reported in the United States closed in on 1 million, with deaths totaling more than 500,000. It's an epidemic, right? We look at it and we go, how can you as a church be so unloving and say that that's wrong to say that this is not a loving thing, that this is not a loving relationship? Have sympathy and have empathy and, and love them and put them in positions of leadership and do the, I'm going, wait a minute. You are fighting for a right to kill one another. It's not, this, this isn't, this is, this is silly. This is a silly statement here. This is a tough statement that you're coming in with. A pill called Truveda, they've actually created one has been created that according to the CDC, quote, a person without HIV can protect themselves from contracting the virus by taking this once-a-day pill. When taken properly, PREP is what it is, can reduce the risk of transmission by more than 90%. Praise the Lord. That's good. I'm glad that people aren't getting it anymore. By 90% by taking this pill. Another medical advancement according to the CDC, quote, modern day, a modern day Antro-retroviral therapy can reduce the chances of an HIV-positive person transmitting the virus by 100% if the therapy is taken consistently to reduce virus to an undetectable level in the blood. Now, here's what I say. We can medically address this issue to a point where we then can just disregard the sin of it anymore, right? We can do that. But lest you think that I'm just picking on a, 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 a... a gay lifestyle. And by the way, AIDS and HIV is a much more uh, generic term than what it all began to be. I don't know if you know that AIDS and HIV used to be called GRIDS, which means gay-related immunodeficiency syndrome. Okay? But we didn't like that term, gay-related Let's make it something much more generic. And now granted, not everybody is gay who contracts this. But the reason that they contract it is because they have sex with somebody who does have it or they share needles with somebody who has it or they have a blood transfusion with somebody who has it or they're infected by somebody who has it who got it from somebody who got it because they were gay. I, I, that's not me. That's fact. That's just I, I, you, you get mad, but I, I'm sorry. I don't hate by any stretch of the imagination. Do I hate gay people? I love them. I love them, and I want to see them set free, just like God set me free from alcoholism and drugs. I want to see them set free too. 
do we care? You know, we look at tobacco. Tobacco. According to the CDC, tobacco use is the leading preventable, preventable cause of death in the United States. Cigarette smoking causes about one out of every five deaths in the United States each year. Do we really care? Or do we just say, because we like tobacco, we're going to continue to keep it. We don't care really in our society about people's lives. We care about our enjoyment. We care about our sin. And I'm sorry if you're a cigarette smoker in here, understand this. Statistics say one in every five people die of tobacco use. Probably be a good idea to stop smoking, to stop chewing, get away from that stuff. Your body no longer belongs to you. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. More than 480,000 deaths annually, including those deaths from secondhand smoke. 41,000 people die a year from secondhand smoke. Alcoholism is the second leading preventable cause of death in the United States. 88,000, which includes only the consumption and effects that lead to a premature death. So there's 88,000 people who die simply because they of of because they're addicted to alcohol and they die because their liver gives up on them and they end up dying that's a year but alcohol poisoning kills six six people every single day according to the department US department of transportation almost 30 people in the united states die in drunk driving crashes every single day that's one person every 48 minutes so here's here's the thing Do we care about people? Don't look at the church and say you don't care about a certain group of people. Let's look at everything that kills people. Let's go back to the Word of God and go, hey, does the Word of God say anything about those things? Yes, it does. What should we do about it? Let's deal with it. Let's deal with it head on. Let's love people. Do I believe Jesus interacted with gay people? Absolutely. Do I think Paul interacted with gay people? Absolutely. Do you think that I believe Jesus and Paul said, hey, go ahead and stay in that life and follow me? No. He said to them, just like he says to me, if you want to follow after Jesus, you need to deny yourself, die, take up your cross every day and follow after me. It's a choice. God's not picking on a particular person. God is saying sin is sin and we need to root it out of our life. The problem is, is that when I think that it's too addictive, it's too hard, it's too hard for me to overcome. Well, I believe that when I come to that point and I say, oh, it's too hard, a sin is too hard for me to overcome. I believe that I have established a God that's far above God. I've established a secular God or I've established a popular God or a societal God that I say, I've got to, I've got to have this or I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to live. Here's the thing. I'm bowing my knee to a separate God. And it's a time where I've got to say, hey, I can't do that anymore. I have got to live for the Lord. I've got to recognize that I'm a Christian and it's no longer about me. It's about Christ, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It has nothing to do with hate. It has nothing to do with ostracizing a particular group of people. Absolutely not. 
It's for that person and me and every other person that Jesus came and died. Man, don't ever ostracize. We've had gay people come into this church and I would venture to say they did not feel that we ostracize them or push them out. I want them in here, man. I want them to see the same Jesus that set me free, man. I want to see them in heaven with me too. And just as maybe that gay person that comes in and, and gets saved and gives their hearts over, heart over to the Lord, if they see me struggling with alcohol, they're going to come to me and they're going to, they're going to talk to me and, and, and encourage me and come alongside of me and say, hey man, this is not right. Man, this is not becoming of a Christian. This is what the word of God says. This is what you're doing. And it's inconsistent. I'm here for you, brother. I'm not here to hate you. I'm not here to push you aside. I'm not here to push you out. I'm here to come alongside and say, hey, I'm here to help you through this season of your life. Let's walk with Jesus. Now, I'm not going to look at that person and go, leave me alone. God loves me because I'm an alcoholic. I can live in alcoholism and I can be an absolute drunk and still be the pastor of this church for goodness sakes. Don't judge me. And and in that, I think the whole world would go, yeah, that's probably not a good thing. Because it's a societal thing that we'd go, well, yeah, it's probably not a great thing if the if the pastor is a sloppy drunk. Probably not a good thing. But our society has embraced a different kind of a sin and we think that that's okay. We got to be careful. All of that. I, I got to end. We're done. I love people like Jesus loves people. I want to love people the way that Jesus, and I'm not there yet, and we're not there yet. I just want to follow Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen. Amen. Jesus, I pray, God, that if I've said anything that here that was apart from you, I pray that the heart of what was just said here was in such a manner that, Lord, I'm not casting out because God you don't cast out you love you embrace you don't tell us to to change and then come to you you didn't do that with me you haven't done that with us you didn't tell us to clean up our act before we could come to you no matter what sin it was we came to you and then you cleaned us and you continue to clean us and you continue to form and to fashion us in a way that would become more in line with the man or the woman that you've called us to be. You are not dependent upon culture and you are not dependent upon society. You are the Lord God, you change not. And so God, help me in my heart and my life be in line with you. May I love like you love, Jesus. May we love like you loved. Jesus, you found yourself comfortable around the people in society and yet you didn't compromise your word. Show us how to do that, God. To where we don't get judged as being somebody who hates because, Lord, that is the furthest from the truth. And if, Lord, if we do harbor hate in our heart, God, root it out because that's not of you. We are not here. We are never called to hate. We are called to love. Your word tells us it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Not by beating people down. And so God, help us to live for you and to love you in the things that we say and the way that we approach people and the way that we minister to people. 
may we truly have the same heart that you do? What would it look like, Jesus, if you were here today? How many churches would cast you out because of your radical ideals, because of your convictions in your heart? How many would embrace you? God, what would our church do if you walked in our door? I pray, God, that we would see you. And God, if there's even a hint of us judging you out of this place, then God change us that in that area. Even if there's something I've said here today that was wrong, God change me, change us, that we would become more in line, completely in line with who you are. I lift up these, this church body to you and I pray, God, that you would help us to truly be you to the world around us, loving them, ministering to them, drawing them to you and showing them what a relationship with you is. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.